serious about betting, this is the podcast for you. Brought to you by Pinnacle.com, the Serious About Betting podcast features me, your host, Ben Cronin, and some of the biggest names and brightest minds in the world of betting. It is time for another episode of Serious About Betting on the Pinnacle podcast. Today's guest works as a professor of statistics and has a particular interest in sports betting. Harry Crane, welcome to Serious About Betting. Thanks a lot, Ben. Good to be here. Good to have you on. And how are you doing? Is everything all right? Yeah, all good. How are you doing? Yeah, yeah I'm not too bad. I'm excited to chat today and, and see where our, our conversation goes. Obviously, you've got a, an interesting background and a, a bit of chat off air about your, your sort of endeavors in the world of betting. So I'm sure we're in for a good chat. Um, what we'll do is or where we'll start and the, the way things tend to work on the show is we're likely to, to get into some discussion around your particular area of expertise and that's the plan anyway and we'll, we'll have to see where the conversation takes us. But to start with, it's always good to do a little bit of an intro. So can you maybe tell us a little bit about yourself, Harry, what, what you do in, in work, in life and, and how maybe the professional sphere ended up crossing paths with, with the world of sports betting? Sure. Yeah. So my my main roles now is a, I'm a statistics professor, and so my my main um, kind of activity there is in teaching and, and in research in statistics, and primarily in my case in probability. Uh, and I so and I also run a nonprofit organization as well called Researchers One. So that's kind of my main activity, which is in the realm of education and research. Uh, before that, I was I was actually I was an actuary very briefly after after college, but that didn't last very long. But um, more recently, well, more recently, but also before all of this, I, I've been involved in gambling or interested in gambling, um, various aspects of it ever since I was really young. So it's actually my interest in gambling that now looking back on it got me interested in statistics and probability in the first place. And now it's kind of the things that I've picked up off, you know, offline, so to speak, not, not in the realm of gambling, the statistical tools that I've learned that have kind of brought me back and using those tools. So, you know, as a kid, I was, you know, familiar with people in the neighborhood, bookies in the neighborhood, they were, you know, doing lottery, running lottery numbers or football pools. I never, I never really got involved in those things too much. I I guess I kind of remember uh, my first in, my first introduction was as a kid uh, going to the racetrack Philadelphia Park and I think the first time I ever probably gambled or risked my own money was in a fantasy football as a kid and the interesting thing about that and I really learned learned quite a bit doing this because I never watched a game of football in my life and so the kids in the neighborhood they were all much older than me and I was probably about 10 11 years old at the time and uh, they convinced me to get in this football league for i think it was five dollars and i ended up dra- drawing the first pick in the draft and i knew nobody in the league and the oldest guy there he says you know pick dave meggett uh first pick now, i i no, don't know who that is and i still don't know who that is so i picked him everybody starts you know laughing about this pick i just looked back at the stats recently and i realized why that was such a bad pick um <laughs> but the first you know first week of the season i'm watching the NFL, Meggett is on the New England Patriots, and I see that he's a he's a punt returner. He's not even a running back, which is what I started him at. So I re- so, but I guess 
I immediately run down the street. I, I go to the, the kid who's running the, uh, running the league and I immediately dropped him, picked up Curtis Martin, who was a rookie that year and who was actually the running back for the Patriots and ended up having a good year. But I guess in that, um, kind of in that experience alone, I realized kind of the, the value of information and information asymmetry, which was on the one hand, I didn't know anything. So I, I made a horrible pick. On the other hand, Curtis Martin being a rookie and these other kids in the neighborhood didn't know very much either. So I was able to make a quick move and actually I ended up winning the league, but that was probably the, the last fantasy football league I, uh, I ever won. And one of the last I ever participated in, but uh, you know, just, just kind of a little story about my introduction to it. And I think that that this idea of information asymmetry obviously plays a crucial role in sports betting to this day, I mean, people have become much more sophisticated, but at the end of the day, it's all about um, leveraging the information that I have and you know, trying to take advantage of it somehow. But uh, from there, I was involved in various forms of uh, poker. Starting in 1998, I remember seeing the 98 World Series of Poker, Scotty Wynn, and this was before hole cards. And I just remember being fascinated by it and running poker games in, in my uh, in my class with kids I knew and then online poker of course came about and um, and yeah so ever since then I've kind of been involved in all, all forms of gambling poker was primarily in the early 2000s uh, a little bit of sports betting then and now back to that and casino gambling as well and it's, it's interesting to hear you say that it was kind of the the betting and this idea of probability and stuff that, that led to the, the career in statistics but I guess one of the questions then would be if, if you entered that fantasy football league with no knowledge clearly of the players that, that were there and, and stuff like that, and you talked about information asymmetry and I mean, that opens up the, the kind of question around sort of green lumber fallacy and, and is, would you have benefited from knowledge of, of those players or how the sport works and stuff like that? Is that as time's gone on? Have you become sort of fan, more of a fan of the sports that you bet on and developed knowledge of, of those sports themselves? Or is it purely about the, the information and the data available? Yeah, well, for, for me, I mean, I, I, I've, I've always been involved in sports, mostly in playing sports. I mean, I'd never, I, I said I'd never watched a football game before, but I had played football. Um, and I, as a kid, and up until even recently, I'd, play baseball didn't really watch very much baseball i mean i prefer to be involved in i prefer to actually be actively involved in doing something than just watching it and so in some ways maybe the sports betting is you know my way of remaining active in, in some way you know it's not playing a physical sport but it's actually still engaging and competing in some sense and challenging myself um so I, I actually view them very, very differently, you know, completely separately. I actually don't really watch that many sports to begin with. But when I do, I mean, the fact that I'm, it doesn't actually, I don't think it distracts me from my appreciation of, of the game or anything like that. Um, if anything, you know, it, it's kind of actually a lot of the analytics stuff I find to be really horrible in terms of ruining the sport uh, to, uh, from, a, from, a, from watching it from a, from a fan's point of view. Um, you know, the analytics of, you know, different roster moves or whatever they do in game. Uh, but of course that stuff's crucial from a betting standpoint. So, um, yeah, I don't know if that addresses your question, but. 
I think a lot of people can relate to the this idea of the the analytical sort of approach or mindset taking a bit away from being a fan of the sport. I mean, I certainly can myself. But just to go back to the, we'll use the the fantasy football example that you came up with, and I know it's sort of in your youth, but when you were learning more about the world of gambling and stuff like that, because of your, you knew from those early days that it was about the power of information and, and not necessarily opinion. Did you do what a lot of people do and kind of make those obvious mistakes in the early life when it was, whether it's sports betting or, or poker or whatever it was, or did your approach kind of help you apply the right methodology or strategy? Yeah. I mean, I should, I should be clear. I mean, I was in, I think I was, like I said, 10 or 11 years old, there was no methodology, uh, involved. Um, and to the extent that I thought there was, um, it wasn't helpful. Right. I mean, after, after I won the first year, the next year I got all the books and I read through and I said, these, these are the picks, this is what I'm going to do. And you know, none of that helped. Um, so there was no real methodology or it was, it was really, you know, if you think about, I'm thinking back on it and, and this is still something that is really important today, which was I had at that time, uh, this is in the mid nineties, of course, uh, I had a piece of information that no, that others maybe didn't have right away, which is that I happened to be watching a game and I saw who was the quarterback. And I, at that point, I, as I said, I ran down the street because at that time we didn't call 12 year old kids didn't necessarily call each other on the phone. I ran down the street to the kid's house and I said, this is what I'm going to do. So I had the information and I executed faster than anybody else could do it. Um, that's still, that's still kind of the name of the game. I think, you know, 90 to 95% probably of doing anything in mo- a lot of things in gambling is that is exactly that. And the methodology, the analytics side definitely help, but all the analytics in the world aren't going to do it, do anything for you if you can't execute on it. And I guess another example of that is in poker. Um, I, I, I was never, at least back when I started playing poker, this, the, the analytics of poker were very primitive compared to how they are today. Um, and I, so, and I don't really don't think that my, any specific, you know, very analytical or very mathematical kind of hard technical analysis was, you know, key to my success there. Of course I can compute pod odds like anybody else. Um, but I think it was, you know, I I think in those two instances, you know, having some level of intuition for just kind of having a feel for how things, you know, how things work helped out, you know, tremendously. And I would say was the key to having an advantage in those situations. Um, that might not be enough to have an advantage anymore, given how much the analytics have advanced, but those things still do have, still do play a, 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 a huge role, not only in my own involvement in my own, you know, whatever I might be, uh, involved in, you know, betting wise, but just, you know, understanding, you know, kind of, the context in which different uh, opportunities arise and how to take advantage of them. And yeah, I mean, this, this idea of sort of intuition, I know speaking to, to Marco Pinnacle's director of trading, he's often talked about, you can see in, in traders, this, this ability to, to kind of take in information and, and think about probability in a, in a different way and almost instantly react to, to information they see and kind of process it 
differently to or on a on a different level to a lot of people out there so do you think some people have sort of a, an inbuilt ability to to think probabilistically and be able to assess information quicker and more efficiently than other people Pro- i mean probably i mean it, it's it certainly might seem that way i don't know if it's a of course like anything else it's it's a skill so some people start out with at a higher level than others, but is it a skill that can be acquired? I think that to some extent it can be, of course, to some extent, you know, there's, there's things that can't be, I mean, that's like anything else. There's, everybody has a ceiling. Um, and I think it helps to have that intuition. The thing that's interesting about, uh, risk and probability and all that is, well, there's, there's kind of the initial challenge of just kind of wrestling with this idea of, not knowing or not being able to predict. And I think that maybe that's the the first hurdle that maybe some people are more inclined towards being able to deal with that. You know, we're not actually trying to predict the winner. We're trying to, whether, you know, get the right price or find inefficiencies in how other people are pricing these events as opposed, you know, so that's, that's kind of the first hurdle. But then, you know, after that, there's, there's all of the emotional and psychological aspects that come into play. So, Maybe that, you know, that's probably why in a lot of cases, the very best, I don't know about a lot of cases, but it, definitely in cases that I'm familiar with, you know, the very best analytical people aren't necessarily the best in terms of gambling. And it's because of the, all of the practical and psychological aspects that, that come along with that. Was there, was there any desire on your end? to solely focus on sports betting and gambling? I know you, you've obviously got your, your professional life now, but did you ever think or, or try to become a, a, a pro, as it were? I guess I, I could say, you know, I, I probably would say no in, in terms of I, it was never given any. I never took the uh, the serious leap, although there's a joke that, you know, friend, friend of mine jokes, you know, to become a professional poker player, all you got to do is, quit your job and buy a computer um, because then you have no source of income except poker, but you could be a losing player. You could still call yourself a pro. Um, but I never did that. I never quite did that. I mean, poker was my, certainly my main source of income, but I, you know, that was in college. So I didn't, I can't really say that it was a job. It was just kind of a recreational hobby that happened to make me a good amount of money. Um, so no, I would say, that, you know, that I've never actually gone that route. Um, but, you know, I, 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 th- I think it's, it's fortunate that, you know, my current situation and that my research and my teaching is very closely on, on a very relevant and closely related topic. So I am able to maintain very close contact with both the, the analytical, the technical side of things, and also the, the practical side of actually you know, doing this, which is, which is something that I really, I really value and I really enjoy, um, quite a bit. Let's, we can, let's dive in a little bit into this idea of, of probability and, and where it is in sports betting. And, uh, one of the first questions I wanted to ask you was around the idea of a, a segment of, of sports fans and, and betters as well will have this argument that sports isn't played on a spreadsheet or you, you can't sort of predict. And I know we are dealing with randomness and uncertainty, but when people speak like that, is that something that 
in the field you're in? Does it kind of irk you? Do you ignore it? What What would you say to those people? Say if you had a minute or two to, to try and convince them or change their mind. I, I guess I'd want to know first um, what you need, what's specifically meant about who are the people saying this and what do they mean when they say that it, 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 sports either is or isn't played on a spreadsheet. I Because I, I think there's aspects of it that are true and, and some that are certainly false. Um, you know, the part that's true is that, of course, in, in a lot of situations, you know, we know that even though any given game is only played once and, you know, there's really, there are a lot of so, you know, unpredictable things that happen that there's certain tendencies and certain patterns that can be found that, you know, just are statistical in nature. And by statistical, it's to say that, well, when, you know, when the over under on a basketball game is, you know, 225, uh, it doesn't really land 350 very often um, or at all, uh, you know, and so, and, and, nor, and, and, it, and it also doesn't come up, you know, 100, you know, so there's, there's statistical tendencies, there's a distribution of the likely outcomes and what tends to, to, to happen more often than not. And that's the sense in which things can be analyzed um, statistically, I guess, what I kind of, on the, on the flip side of that, I mean, I, I would, I would also agree though, that uh, not everything can just be treated as if it's some a math problem on a spreadsheet. And the, the biggest example of this um, that I've had, you know, I've had issues with this in my own experience. And I, I, I think that it's something that's maybe underappreciated, but of course, you know, backtesting, you know, backtesting is not real life. So, I mean, it's, it's very common, I think, to come up with a model that might appear to do very well in backtesting and then it just doesn't perform when it's actually put into practice. And why is that? Well, there's a lot of reasons why, uh, a lot of potential pitfalls and just one might be that the market caught up to you in the time that you came up with the model, backtested it, and then somebody else, enough people, other, other people figured it out that there's no edge anymore. But others could just be, you know, standard mistakes that you make while you're working on them on the problem. So, you know, there are analytical aspects to it, but at the end of the day, the execution of it, the practice of it, there's real risk involved and there's actual practical issues. Um, and so I think that, you know, that, that's the part that I would say it's important to keep those part. I think it's important to keep both in mind. I think it's a really interesting point that you raise about backtesting and the fact that you are looking at a, a snapshot of a point in time where something might not be known by the market. And really what you're looking to do is bet on future events when, as you said, the, the market might have caught up. But more to your, your approach then in terms of sports betting, how would you, how would you um, sort of express what it, what it is you do when you're, you're betting on sports and the way you work to, to try and find that edge? So the, the, uh, one of the interesting things about sports betting is it's true of other, other types of betting as well is that, I mean, there's, a, there's just a lot of ways to win uh, and there's a lot of different way, approaches. And um, that, with that said, there's a lot of emphasis now and uh, as we're talking about on the analytics and the quantitative side, but there's, there's a lot of qualitative, a lot of ways to win qualitatively as well. Um, for me, I mean, you know, I have a few things that I might look for that are, um, let's say, you know, there's a few things that I look for and that I tend to focus on partly because I have limited time uh, to focus on them. So, I mean, the one thing that I don't do that is kind of the entry level and probably the best way for people to, to get into this is to kind of 
shop around at, at various different places and to try to find arbitrage. I mean, that's, that's, I don't know how plentiful those opportunities are. I think they are, they're out there, but it's a time consuming uh, thing. And that's generally not what I do. Um, middling is maybe the next level up from that. And that's something that I, I do kind of, enjoy, I do enjoy do, looking for that. And I think that that can be valuable because um, there's kind of, it has kind of a good, a good mix of the practical aspect of actually finding and executing the bets, but also understanding or trying to evaluate the, the value of that middle, right? Not every middle is worth betting. Um, you have to find, you have, you have to know what the, what the points are worth and things like that. And that does present a, an interesting challenge. It's not necessarily the most difficult, but in some, some cases are harder than others to try to come up with. And in some cases, um, I mean, just modeling data from a fundamental perspective can be, um, can be useful, especially in certain types of prop betting, uh, which I've used, which is primarily within the realm of sports where I've done fundamental, some fundamental modeling. Um, but I, I guess overall, I would say, as far as my approach is concerned, my statistical background is helpful as a framework for thinking and a framework for approaching different things. So I don't necessarily have one way of going, one thing that I want to look at or one, one way of going about things, but it's a good, it's a good framework so that I can kind of, as I'm looking through things, as I see, well, this is the certain types of bets that are being offered on this particular sport. I'm in kind of in a good state of mind, I think to, to kind of, figure out or see, or see when some th- see a place that there might be an opportunity. Uh, and then I also have a way with this framework to quickly kind of get a handle or get a handle on whether or not it might be profitable or worth my time to delve into further. So that's kind of where the intuition and the technical part, I think, comes together pretty nicely. It saves me a lot of time and it also allows me to move between different opportunities, different sports relatively efficiently. Um, I think that that, yeah, that's been good for me. Do you find yourself specializing in certain sports? I know you said there that you might move around to, to sports, but does your approach or, or your level of interest or just where you found your edges in the past, does that sort of lend you to, to some sports more than others? Some sports, I think, been able to understand better than others. The, I guess focusing on the American sports uh, for the moment. I mean, football is is notoriously hard. NFL football, uh, certain things involving props, you know, are aren't quite as hard. But I haven't spent so much time in that just because there's you know there's a limited number of games and uh, you know the variances are going to be higher. But but uh, I would say basketball and hockey have been um, something that I've looked at for looked at in a bit more detail. Uh, and been able to find more opportunities. Maybe, maybe there, there's a bit of kind of contextual bias in that as well, in the sense that those are sports that are played during the winter, typically, and that's a time when I maybe am stuck inside more often, so I have more time to kind of look at them and to analyze them and to get involved in them than I would with something like, you know, baseball, for example. Um, I've never looked into other sports like uh, you know, Premier League or any any types of things like that. Uh, but I, I think that a lot of the same principles would apply. But at the same time, there's also nuances to every 
every uh, every different sport that you look at depending on depending on approach you know of course like i said if the the strict kind of arbitrage line grinding doesn't really rely too much on on the sport but anytime there's kind of specific whether any little bit of fundamental data that comes in um does present at least a little bit of a different challenge when you mentioned there, you sort of your background, uh, statistical background, and that the modelling side of things. And now I don't know if this is me personally, but sort of terminology and like regression analysis and Poisson and all this kind of stuff. It, it seems more prevalent in the world of sports betting now, and whether that's people talking about it or people actually implementing it and using those approaches are obviously two very different things. But would you would, do you think it's fair to say that? Um, a statistical approach has become more common within the sports betting community sort of over the recent years? I, I certainly, I definitely assume so, or at least the, you know, the, I guess what I would, I, of course, I don't know because I don't, I only know the, the very limited group of people that I'm familiar with or that I get exposed to. And if, if you're looking on, say on Twitter and you're seeing what people are talking about, um, that's a biased sample of everybody who's out there, of course. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that that, that approach, at least knowledge, basic knowledge of that seems to have percolated a bit and is, is a bit more prevalent. I don't know how many people are actually making use of those things. You know, it's one thing to know about it and be aware of it. Um, it's another thing to, to kind of be able to make use of it. And I think that, you know, there's a benefit to being aware of it, uh, even if you're not using it, because there's other people using it. And so um, I think that one of the things that I... I always try to keep in mind, and I think it's it, this. This might even be the the really the first step into becoming a, a good or you know a non losing better or a l- less losing better is to kind of understand what what the angle is. You know, I, I guess the what I mean by that is you know when I approach a situation, I try to think, well, could I possibly have an edge here? You know, and what what would be giving me that edge? You know, may, and maybe it's well, I think I can model the data this way, and probably that's something that nobody else has thought of, or very few people have thought of before. And why do I think that? Why do I think that? Well, because this is an obscure statistical topic that I happen to know because I teach statistics. So you know, that's my angle. Uh, somebody else's angle might be that they're faster, or that they have better information, or whatever. But, um, you know, the angle is never just, well, I watch a lot of football and it, you know, I just know that, that, you know, Tom Brady's not going to lose this game, right? That's not the angle. Uh, so, but, you know, it be, so I guess what I'm trying to say between the, um, you know, the, maybe the more old school approach and the more, let's call it the, the new approach or the modern approach that uses analytics, um, I definitely think there's people making, use of it and taking advantage of it and doing very well with it. Um, I still think there's a way to win without it. There's clearly ways to win without it, but it doesn't hurt to at least be aware that these things exist so that when something that something appears to be off kind of systematically and doesn't really make sense kind of from a common sense point of view, but it's off and all the books are showing it and all the lines are showing it, you know, maybe that is because there's some kind of analytics going on behind the scenes that actually is correct or is more correct than your intuition. And so it, it is good to be aware, I think, even if you're not using them yourself. 
I guess the the motivation behind the question for me was that you mentioned there like a, a bias sample of like my perception is driven by the people that I follow on Twitter and the people that I talk to, which obviously this, that kind of terminology is, is more commonly used, but more so from your perspective, perhaps someone that with a statistical background that might be using these kind of models, noticing that the market is beginning to catch up or maybe those, the models that, that are built don't have as, as long a life cycle as potentially they once would have. Um, and whether that's driven by other betters in the market, obviously helping the bookmaker along that journey, is, is, is that something that you've experienced or are the, is the, the kind of split of your approach not necessarily driven too much by those statistical models? No, yeah, I've seen it. I've seen it myself. And I, I think that, you know, there's, there's, there's very specific instances where I've seen, you know, I've, I've looked at a, a certain, whether it's a certain in-game play uh, or a prop play or, or just a general pricing play before a game. And I said, well, this is, you know, I look at it and I say, well, this is how I would model it if I, um, you know, if I were trying it myself. And then I, I go and I do that kind of default first pass, you know, first thing you think of approach. And then I go and I look at what lines the books are offering. And there's, there's a lot of times where the line the book is offering is exactly what I calculated based on this kind of initial model. So it leads me to believe that, that those are being used, whether they're being used kind of, you know, now where did that line come from? Did it come from the book or did it come from the market moving the line to that point? Uh, I don't know, but it, but it, it, it suggests that you know, that whatever model I'm using, it's not to say that everybody is kind of using that same model, but that somehow there's something kind of fundamental in how the market thinks about things and, you know, what that model is picking up on. And there's a relationship between the two. Now, that's where I think, I mean, that's kind of an interesting place to be because you figured out in some sense what, what the market is thinking in how to price these things. And that was also kind of what you thought initially how you would model this thing but usually the you know usually the first approach to something isn't the right approach or isn't the best approach so it creates a nice opportunity because then you know in assuming that you know you're correct and that this this valuation that i've made is kind of going to be consistent over time that this is actually how the how the how the thing is being priced if you know how things are being priced then you now have kind of plenty of opportunity to say, well, what's wrong with this model? I mean, that's kind of the, the, the thing about analytics or, you know, statistics that is maybe not always, you know, this isn't necessarily what, what's, it's, it's things that I teach in class, but it's not necessarily the first thing that comes to mind is that, you know, when it comes to statistics, really the statistics is a statistical model is built on all kinds of assumptions. Um, and any one of those assumptions can be wrong. And in general, every one of those assumptions, of course, is wrong to some degree. Um, and so once you know kind of how someone else is trying to go about something and what their model is or re- what their assumptions are, then you have kind of a way of saying, well, where can I, any one of these assumptions be wrong? And how can I improve upon that? And that would be a source to find an advantage. And that's, you know, that's another. You know, that's something that I've been able to do in, you know, in a number of cases and, uh, it can be pretty beneficial to go, you know, one step beyond. I mean, I think that that's always the name of the game, right? Is always being one step ahead or going one step beyond what the, what the general consensus is. And with the, 
you mentioned props and there was a reference to to in play stuff as well that you've done have you found have you found that the obviously betting products available in the industry have, have advanced quite some time over the last few years are you driven to things like props and in play because it's more difficult in in pre-game stuff or is it just that there's more opportunity there for you or or are you kind of widespread aco- across the the different markets that that are available to bettors well, in play is an interesting one because that's one that I'm not actively doing at the at this very moment um, because of um, the practical issues that come in, that, that that arise. I mean, it, it's the kind of thing where I think where I think I'm you know I, I have a an idea of how things work and how I might be able to find an edge, but I don't know how to execute it. And one of the reasons is because of the way the books. I mean, for lack of a better word, uh, you know, cheat players. At least as far as I'm concerned, um, if, if if a number is uh, if a number is being uh, offered in play, and it takes eight seconds to uh, approve of the bet, then you know, I'm I'm basically I'm I'm most likely being free rolled on that bet, um, and I just don't know a good way around that, or I haven't figured out a good way around that to execute that without exposing myself to that. Um, to that to that issue um so this is i think an interest an important thing which again goes to the difference between backtesting and kind of actual execution i mean this is one where i i feel comfortable or i feel confident that my approach you know in backtesting works and i also feel like that approach carries over to real life in some sense but what is missing from my backtesting is this practical issue of actually getting the bets out in real time, in play, when things are constantly changing uh, and things are being approved on an eight-second delay, that's not really something I can test for. Uh, and that kind of makes the difference between you know, winning a lot and, in this case, I think, what would be losing a lot. So it's actually something I haven't even tried because I'm pretty sure it wouldn't work uh, until I figure out kind of the practical side of things. Yeah, and I think it's, I mean, that's a really interesting subject in in itself isn't it you you talked about and i like the fact that you said sort of not not losing so much or, or whatever it was for for better starting out but when when you do find you're able to develop a, a profitable strategy and and begin to win long term in betting one of the, the the hardest steps to make is actually getting those bets down as well and, and finding those out so could you maybe talk to us a little bit about your experience of kind of then having to do the legwork and actually placing the bets and, and stuff like that? Yeah, a little bit. I mean, I'm not, I'm, I'm by no means an expert in this. And of course there's people who are a- absolute masters in, in this, in this game. And, you know, I, I haven't run into this issue at, at such a large scale because I'm not, I'm not a huge volume uh, player, but the issue arises nevertheless, because um, well, just because of the way that the business operates. Um, so, I mean, this is where I guess there's kind of two, two different issues with this in the United States, at least, which is on the one hand, there's the issue of getting limited or banned from certain books. And on the other hand, there's the issue that we have 50 states and a lot of them have sports betting, but that you can only bet at a, in a given state if you're in that state. Uh, and so there's a physical issue of who, you know, who do I know that is in this place at this time? And there's also the issue of 
am I allowed to bet or will I get picked off or will this, is this worth it in terms of, you know, of course the risk of, you know, maybe this bet very much is a positive bet, but will it tip them? Will it, you know, tip the balance or how do I go about it in a way that's not going to kind of get me set, send, set, set alarms off. I think that the, the, the issue that I've run into most though is, is the first one which is actually having the right person in the right place at the right time. Uh, the issue of kind of getting the, getting access to, uh, enough sports books or, you know, not getting banned or limited. Well, in, in, it, it comes up, but there's, I haven't exhausted my network of people who I know, I guess is, 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 uh, is the short answer to that. Um, and even if I were to do that, there would be, I think I would have other avenues to explore um, in terms of, you know, people who really, really know how to do this, which is not my expertise. But so I, I think that, you know, getting limited is kind of par for the course. Um, but I think that that's also kind of, in some ways, it's kind of in, it's, it's somewhat of an easy thing to get around if you know the right people. Um, it's actually raises the question of whether the, whether it's a good strategy for books to actually limit winning players. That's another question people talk about all the time. But I mean, if you think about, um, you know, if it's true that these, you know, the people who want it, who have an incentive to get around this are, are always one step ahead of the books and always know how to do it, then, you know, wouldn't the book benefit from knowing who they're, who's betting, knowing that there's a smart person betting this, then having the smart person kind of sneak around and bet through, uh, you know, an account that, you know, you don't know, you don't know who's behind it. I mean, that's, that's a question maybe for the books, but they can run their businesses however they want, I guess. But, uh, but yeah, I think that all of those practical issues dealing with having access to enough books, um, whether it's because of physical location or because of being allowed to bet and, you know, kind of knowing the right people, to be able to execute those um, are extreme are very important. I think to be successful. You said the path for the course was the the phrase that you used, and I think it's it's interesting that the betting community there is a an, an acceptance almost. And and speaking as someone who's who's based in the UK, I can I can a word of warning that I think more is to come for for the US and stuff like that in terms of sports betting. But when you say it's path for the course, do you, do you think? It's a fair game, regardless of whether or not bookmakers can use information from from sharps and and stuff like that. How do you feel as someone on on the customer side of the counter trying to find those bets? Is it is it fair, or do you just accept it for what it is? Well, I think I think there's there's two there, there's some things that are fair. I, I, some things I would say are fair. None none of it is uh, great, uh, but it's still fair in the sense that I would say. You know, technically, if you're running a, a business or a book and you feel it's best to kind of restrict a customer, then I don't really see, I can't really say there's anything wrong with that from a fairness point of view. And, you know, we can, you can debate the, the, the issue of whether that's a good business decision, but that's not for me to answer. So I, I don't think that that's unfair. Of course, it's frustrating and, and it's something, it's a practical matter to be dealt with. What I do think is unfair, and I mentioned it earlier are some of the other things that happen. Well, I mean, I already mentioned the issue with in-play. I mean, I think that that is legitimately unfair to the point of, you know, it, should, it shouldn't be allowed that a, a line is posted. I can click on it and say, I want to bet this line. 
and that doesn't get accepted. You know, if, if the books are worried about, you know, this eight, eight second data, f- that me having a better data feed than them, then they should either get a better data feed or they shouldn't be offering those lines. It's the information asymmetry you talked about, isn't it? Like it, it might be, it's okay when it's on one side, but then not okay when it's kind of flipped and, and the power is in the customer's hands, I guess. Yeah. So that's a situation where the books are getting information without paying for it. And I think that that's, that is kind of an unfair it's not only an unfair advantage, I would say it's unethical. And I, I mean, I would consider that to be cheating. Um, the other thing that really kind of gets at me, and I don't know if this is an issue is elsewhere as much as it is, I've experienced it in, in, in where I'm at and in maybe other places in the United States as well, which is that I could go right now and I can cash in any, pretty much any amount I want. I can deposit and start betting on any game I want. I can go into their casino, play slot machines. The second I try to cash out $100, you know, they need two, three forms of identification, a picture of me with holding up my driver's license, bank statements, you know, all of the above to try to give me my money back. Well, you know, that, that, you know, if, if, if you needed to verify my identity now, why didn't you need to verify it before I placed the bet? So I think that's another kind of point of frustration. I mean, I, I don't know what its net impact is, but it definitely, I think, gets at this asymmetry in terms of things that are, you know, certain things that are treated one way or the other, depending on who's, who's on what side. Um, so there's all little things like that. But the, the issue of getting limited or banned, I mean, w- whether I'm resigned to it, just in terms of that's just the way things are, and also kind of accepting it as kind of, well, you know, I have the right to choose to bet or not at your place, and you have the right to allow me or not to bet at your place. Um, yeah, I don't think that's necessarily inherently unfair, even if it would be nice if it wasn't like that. And then for for you and the fact that we the amount of work that goes in, as we said, one, being able to to find an edge, but two, being able to execute on that, the, the motivation behind it for you, is it is it this purely sort of financially driven? Is it someone that likes to, to solve a problem and, and know that you're right? Is it is it kind of beating the house? What, what drives you to bet? What, what motivates me gets, you know, this goes back a long way for me. You know, I, I really just love doing this. Um, you know, the money in some sense, it, it's, it's a weird thing with, with kind of, um, with gambling. Cause if the money wasn't there, then the, the interest in doing it in the first place isn't, isn't there. But at the same time, the money isn't the primary, primary motivation, but if there was no money, then there's no risk and there's no excitement and there's no challenge. And, and so, you know, the, the money's kind of very deeply intertwined into that whole process. But I think that what, what kind of gets, gets me interested and keeps me going is just a real, you know, an enjoyment of the process and a love of the game that goes back to the time when I was a kid. Um, and part of that is, is really the challenge of figuring this out from a, you know, part, sometimes the, the hard part is figuring it out from a technical point of view. And that, you know, I learn a lot about you know, my own field of probability and statistics as a result of looking at these problems, because there's things that I've never thought of before. I have to look into it and then I learn something new that that's always interesting. And then the actual practical part of executing it and actually winning. I mean, that's, that I think is what kind of bridges the gap between, you know, making something theoretical versus making, making something real, which is, you know, there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of academic literature, so-called academic literature on, uh, 
on betting and on sports analytics and on things that are relevant to this, let's say the quantitative or the technical side of, of sports betting. Um, but you know, I can fit it. You, you can usually fit a pretty, you can get a model that probably explains 90 to 95% of what's going on in most situations without doing that much work, without knowing that much um, kind of about the sport or about, you know, what, what's going on with the betting markets and, and stuff like that. And that 90 to 95% is plenty for a research article and for a, a blog post or for, you know, an academic kind of research project. Um, it's not enough to win, you know, the, the five, that extra 5%, uh, you know, is, is, is where, you know, all of the money either gets made or lost. And so that's something that I think makes the challenge very much more difficult and much more real. And also there's, there's a very concrete and objective metric here. It's not just, you know, so I look at it or somebody looks at it and says, wow, that's a really interesting and a really sophisticated model. Um, it doesn't matter how sophisticated it is at the end of the day, there's a, you know, there's a very real metric, which is whether you're winning or losing. And so I think all of these things kind of come together um, and drive my interest in it. And, you know, I mean, some things I do, I find things or somebody contacts me, they say, take a look at this and I can figure out whether we should do it in, you know, a half hour or an hour. And some things I've been working on for years, uh, for, you know, several years uh, uh, without kind of being able to pulled the trigger on it yet. And I think all of the above are, are part of the process. And I mean, you know, to me, I just, yeah, I just enjoy doing it. And, and one part there is this, like, it's, it's great that we, we you, you know, that a bias exists and it allows you to, to make money. But I think really what's also very interesting is that idea of why does that bias exist or the, or the psychology behind it. So in terms of like how much work you put into that or how far you, you take your analysis or, or what you do in betting, how invested are you in sort of the, the psychological side of things? Um, the psych- well, the psychological, I mean, I, I've, I've done research separately on that's not exactly psych- psychological in nature, but it, it's related to, it's related somewhat to decision making, but it's more in the realm of, you know, common sense, intuition, kind of things like that. But it, it's, it's very much in the, let's, let's just say on the academic or the more technical side of things, it's not really anything that I think is practical in nature, but it's something that I, as part of doing that work, of course, it's something that I think about all the time, which is, you know, just because something can't be represented as a mathematical model or that something can't be explained as a statistical model or as a data problem doesn't mean that it's not real and doesn't mean that it can't be acted upon. So, I mean, that, that is, uh, that is one side of it, you know, that I always keep in the back of my mind. Uh, as far as bias is concerned, one of the things that I've thought about, um, I haven't actually been able to at least I haven't, I don't think I found anything directly related to this that I've been able to take advantage of, but I'm very much on the lookout for it, which is related to something that we talked about earlier, which is in knowing or in thinking that I know how the books or how the, how some segment of this, the, this, the betting community is, is evaluating bets, which is the analytic side of things that could potentially introduce biases in the sense that 
if there's kind of an industry standard in how things get done, then of course there's a potential for a systematic bias and a systematic mistake that's going on. If you know, if I if I say, well, you're you're modeling something this way, and everybody thinks this is just the default and the best and the correct way to do it, um, but you're missing out on this key point, and that does introduce uh, a, a potential for bias. It's not so much a psychological bias as much as it's just statistical bias, which is actually even better because it's it's in some sense explainable and can be exploited, and I, I just. You know, a quick example. I'm no expert in in financial markets, but this is essentially what what people are attributing the 2008 crash to, which is essentially something like this, where a lot of the financial financial firms, hedge funds, were using essentially the same model for pricing, for evaluating, you know, valuing stocks or evaluating uh, stock options, and they were just missing out on a very key point. The model didn't account for it, and it led to a widespread mispricing and ultimately to a crash. Um, so I don't see why the same thing won't happen or can't happen in sports betting. Um, it's just a matter of, you know, when, when and where and how it'll come about. And of course, it's not going to be something of the disaster for, you know, the economy as actual financial markets, but it certainly presents an opportunity for, the, for an alert sports better. To, to take advantage of when, if and when the time arises. One of the, um, just one of the, before we wrap up, one of the interesting questions I, I wanted to ask you was that we've, we've had some people on the show and, and we had a, a professor of applied mathematics on talking about sort of how he's used statistics to, to, to try and make money from betting. Um, we've had Andrew Mack obviously wrote, wrote a book about models in Excel and, and how models that perhaps could have been applied to to other fields of study can be applied to sports betting and just as someone who's in that field in terms of academia does that does that go the other way so is it is it becoming more socially acceptable to to talk about statistics in a in a sports betting context in academia or, or has it not gone that far yet uh it's i mean that's a good question i mean it it probably is more acceptable i mean that's I mean, I, I should say, you know, even though I'm my primary, you know, job is is in academia and and teaching and research and as a professor, the people I interact with who are interested in betting uh, are are all are all outside of academia. So I don't actually have a very good um, connection inside. Uh, I do I do believe that there are academics who are interested in sports analytics. They go into they they go to the Sloan conference and and to some extent get interested in by default almost in sports betting. Um, you know, for me, betting was always socially acceptable, so I don't really pay attention to that uh, to that kind of attitude. Uh, um, I know that wasn't your question necessarily, but I guess I, I guess what I, what I'm trying to say is that I've never really taken note of this because the people that I've interacted with and that maybe because I prefer to interact with them, but, uh, the people that I've been involved with never really had these thoughts. They've always found this to be a perfectly fine thing. I mean, it's a extremely challenging thing. It's, you know, it is intellectually stimulating, uh, from many levels. And so there's nothing wrong with it from that point of view. And maybe it's, 
about time that the academic world maybe caught up with that. And you mentioned this kind of network a couple of times and that people might reach out to you and say, hey, this this might be interesting. Do you want to see how this might work? And as, as important as that is, and I'm sure people listening to this are aware of sort of knowledge sharing and, and things like that for personal development, is there is there maybe any resources or, or any other sort of ways for, for individuals to kind of um, enhance their knowledge that you might recommend to, to people listening? Well, I, I guess the the first, the probably the first thing that can be done, the easiest thing that can be done, and if someone's listening to this, they might already be do, probably already doing this, but it would be to follow the relevant people, um, the relevant people on Twitter, uh, who who talk about this stuff all the time. I, at the same time, I mean, there's not a whole lot of actual information that gets trans that transpires. Sometimes, though, there is. Uh, you know, most of the, most people, yeah, are working, they're working for themselves, especially the professionals are trying to, you know, they're making a living doing this. So they're not going to give away the whole, uh, the whole strategy, but there's a lot of tidbits that can be picked up in terms of how people, how someone thinks, you know, what to think about, what to look for, that if you're really reading between the lines, you can learn a lot. Um, I think that, you know, that, that, that's one of the things that I, um, well, I've learned a lot from it myself. I'm considering, I mean, I'm considering now, and I've been talking to some people about this, to put together some kind of course on some of the statistical aspects of, of it's really, in some ways, it would just be a statistical, a statistics course, but with a background, with, but with sports betting as the backdrop. So one way to learn, one good way for me, in my opinion, to learn statistics or to learn anything is to actually learn it in a context that is both interesting and intuitive and for those who are interested in sports betting and who are actually interested in using these techniques in sports betting but who might not actually have the mathematical background um i'm working on maybe trying to provide some of that uh, myself as far as you know uh, we've talked about my involvement in in betting whether it's actually placing bets you know for other people sometimes that's my role and sometimes my role is in coming up with the plays and sometimes it's in just as a, in a consulting role um answering questions that people might have i haven't actually you know with all of that being said i haven't actually published and i generally don't publish things that either i'm actively doing or not actively doing or i know of other people doing just because i I do respect the fact that there is a, well, I respect the fact that there are people out there who make a living doing this and I'm not one of them. So uh, even if I came up with a play on my own and I'm, it's certainly within my rights to maybe publish it. Uh, you know, I just, I just feel that there's, there, there's also some value in leaving things out there un, unspoken and leaving the challenge for other people to find it themselves. That being said, uh, with the, with the, with anything that I would like to do is not so much to say, here's the play, now go execute it. That's not really that interesting, although it can make you money. Um, I think it would be better to provide you provide somebody with the tools necessary to figure things out on their own. And so, um, Andrew Mack's a great, you know, Andrew Mack is a good resource for that in his book. Um, Plus EV Analytics uh, is is somebody who writes a blog every once in a while and usually pretty, pretty insightful stuff there. Those are two that come to mind. Um, in terms of people who actually put out 
I think, pretty worthwhile content from the technical side of things. Those are just two that I happen to know. I'm sure there's plenty of others. Yeah, certainly. I mean, two guys that we've we've actually had on the show and that have published articles for Pinnacle as well. So I can certainly testify to that as well. Um, but that is just about all we have time for today, Harry. It's, it's been great chatting to you and I'm sure our listeners have, have learned a lot as well. So thank you for coming on the show and, and sharing some of your experiences and, and your thoughts on betting. It's, it's much appreciated. I appreciate it. Thanks a lot. And of course, thank you to everyone for listening. Remember to subscribe on your preferred podcast platform so you know exactly when our new episodes are going live. You can also review the podcast to help get the word out there and provide any feedback or suggestions for future guests that you might have. If you do want more help with your betting, remember to follow at Pinnacle on Twitter and visit betting resources on the Pinnacle website. Remember to tune in next time for Serious About Betting on the Pinnacle podcast. But until then, bye for now. Bye for now.